0: Welcome to The Canteen Podcast, a show for anyone who has feelings about food. Join host, Ali Houston, as guests open up about their relationship with food and their thoughts on nutrition. Nourish yourself with The Canteen Podcast.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of The Canteen Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Houston. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and enjoy the show. And we are recording, and I'm delighted to have with me today Dr. Mark Kukazela, who is an Air Force Reserve Lieutenant Colonel, a general practitioner in West Virginia, a professor at the West Virginia University School of Medicine. He conducts healthy running medical education courses and is the author of the book, Run for Your Life. He's more than 100 marathon and ultramarathon finishes under his belt and has won the Air Force Marathon twice. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you on.
0: Pleasure is mine, Ali, and um, I really have enjoyed your work.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I noticed uh, earlier in the year that you'd got hold of the um, low carb on a budget book that uh, we put out over here. Um, I hope you've been enjoying it.
0: Oh, yeah. And it was really, Ali, uh, refreshing to see that book because it's been I don't know how long it took you to put that book together. But I've been working on a similar book over here in the States through a couple small grants. And uh, about three years ago, we put together a low-carb medical guideline book with Dr. Eric Westman, Willie Yancey, and Lydia Bazzano, which was a little spiral book that we were distributing out to clinicians and also had a downloaded version. We even had a version called the Queen's Units. Campbell Murdoch helped us convert uh, the, you know, grams and ounces and the way you measure things over in the UK and the millimoles per milliliter versus milligrams per deciliter. So this is a global movement, but that book was mainly geared to clinicians. Um, Probably some more savvy patients could, or individuals could read it, but it didn't have a nice action plan, didn't have recipes. So after that book was downloaded like thousands and thousands of times from the site. So there was interest to develop a, a patient guide you know, an individual guide, not for the medical practitioner, kind of a companion piece. And I just showed you the, the final cut <laughs> over the video screen right before this. We call it low carb on any budget. And the subtitle is, is um, low carb shopping and recipe starter. Begin a life free of dieting and indulge yourself in health. So we want this. This isn't a diet book, you know, because this is a lifestyle. But that took about two years from start to finish. To get it, you know, to get it, it's it's not perfect. I sh- I'm sure, as you know, with your book, it's like you know, even the day before, it's like, dude, you're like scratching something, or oh, we got the net carbs wrong on this. But I think it's good. It's it's going to be out the door, very complimentary t- to your book. Um, your book's uh, was probably a little more recipe heavy than this one. Um, maybe some of the recipes wouldn't translate as much to the U.S. just with the, their ingredients. But I think you put these two together and just just make make the case that this is not difficult this is not expensive this is not fancy you don't need a lot of cookbooks you know once you learn the basic skills and get a little bit creative with your you know just mix ingredients on a skillet you know and uh, add some flavors and some spices it, have some fun with it and you'll just discover new things that are just delicious that are not complicated yeah absolutely and fit, fit, your, fit your budget whether it's low budget medium you can buy fancy stuff, too, if you want, you know, the best cut of ribeye or go get hamburger at the Save-A-Lot or Dollar General store, as we would call them here.
1: Yeah, and I've found that, you know, there's a place in the, for the food industry and all this as well where, you know, I, I, I sometimes when I'm out and about, I'll get the, the triple cheeseburger from McDonald's and it's um, I just have it without the ketchup. And it's basically, you know, extremely low carb. It's just beef, salt, pepper, uh, some cheese and some pickle. It's great.
0: Yeah, their egg McMuffin, actually, if you get rid of the muffin, is probably a reasonable food, because it's a piece of Canadian bacon. I, I, it is a real egg, I think. Is, am I wrong? There? I don't know, the ones in the States, that they crack an egg in this little poacher, so I believe it's a real egg, and it's a real piece of cheese. Just get rid of the muffin, and it's, to have like two of those, and that's your breakfast.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, if you're
0: good. on the road. You know the, the
1: reason it, the reason McDonald's is cheap is because they buy so much of their ingredients in in, in bulk and have such efficient processes, So it's, I, I don't think the the ingredients need not necessarily be be bad, but um I, I guess our focus is mainly empowering people to do stuff at home as much as as much as possible and uh, oh, really sure. changing their lives in, for the for the long term. But for those who don't know who you are um you know I saw your work a couple of years ago in a talk online at one of the low carb conferences. Um, you know your your work's shared a lot uh, on Twitter um, I don't think you're on Twitter yourself but you've got a lot of fans on there and why don't you start by describing your background and how you got to where you are today
0: with diet and health yeah so uh, your intro kind of had me more as, as a runner which is uh, my early life was in competitive sports track running marathon running and um, we all did the traditional diets of, you know, high carbohydrate, carbo loading. Um, I was in the military at the time, and I was working on programs to help people pass the fitness test. So I started to dig into why people were failing the Air Force fitness test. I'm not sure if in the UK, like the RAF would have, you got to run a two mile in X amount of time or you lose your commission. You know, so, so it's the stakes are pretty high. They need to, to be fit and be able to pass this test. If I went around my hospital right now and applied a fitness test to our staff, you know, it, it, it probably would look pretty dismal. But I noticed something pretty profound. This is about 2012, Ali, the, the, uh, the curves kind of align between the weight, the BMI, and the failure rates. So I kind of dug into that a little bit. And, you know, they were all exercising pretty similar amounts of time. You know, they have group PT. Um, so there had to be something more about, about why these people were having BMI. And it was kind of like a perfect storm of, of information. You know, they gave me six months to work on a project for the fitness test. So I could remove myself from clinic. You know, any doctor out there, if you're working 10 hours in clinic, your brain is just done at the end of the day. You certainly can't do a deep dive into why military troops are becoming <laughs> overweight, because that's like a three-month deep dive. So uh, yeah, I came across Gary Taubes and, and read that book, you know, Good Calories, Bad Calories, like three times, 600-page tome. Uh, uh, nothing else was really published at the time, you know, that, that was readable or accessible. Um, and at the same time, I get a military physical ev- every year and my A1C was uh, six plus kind uh, of thinking, and it's right below full diabetes threshold. I'm not sure the conversion uh, to, to your units, but so I was in the pre-diabetes range, you know, and I, I was a runner. I looked like, you know, like this, right. 135, I don't know how many stone, 170 kilo less 65 kilo. So, the the docs were a little bit surprised by that uh, because they didn't fit the the phenotype of type two. So I got a test called a C peptide, which measures your endogenous insulin production, and and mine was very very low. It was on the type one spectrum. They called it maturity onset diabetes of youth, or or LADA is another name for it. And I put on a continuous glucose monitor and I was at a base that had one of these that you could check out and use for a few days. These were early generation, and I saw immediately what the problem was. So not only did I, I start to learn the science, you know, from Gary Taubes and reading that, and then I looked at what was going on myself. And and it, to stay in the military, you can't be diabetic and you can't be on medications. So I did the, I did a hard lockdown, so to speak, of carbohydrates, and I just started checking my sugars religiously and, and uh, just noticed the obvious is, oh gosh, I can eat my eggs, which I had sworn off. All the food that I ate as a runner was just off the table, you know, all the pasta and the bread and the bagels and all that stuff. Um, Yeah. And it changed, it changed my life. You know, not my energy came back because I I was probably sicker than I thought I was just, you know, type A and just running through it. But I'd wake up at two in the morning needing to eat because I'd have reactive hypoglycemia. You know, that's not fun. And, but again, I was just thinking, well, I just need more calories, you know, and I was actually losing weight from the lack of insulin, eating, you know, thousands and thousands of calories of carbohydrates. So I, I you know, fixed myself. Um, you know, I have a continuous glucose monitor on now, you know, which is just, I, I love those things. I think every single person out there with any metabolic disturbance should should put one on their arm. I just got the Freestyle Libre. I, I know they're pretty common over there in the UK. But then I started traveling, so it really confirmed my hypothesis of the carbohydrates driving the obesity and driving the diabetes, I, I traveled to probably 50 military bases um, during that time. And I, it, you'd be in a base gym and you'd ask the question, because it was a fitness training and most of them don't want to be there. They all hate to run, you know, they're kind of forced, they're sitting on the bleachers, you know, their arms crossed. they just, I don't want to be here. But then you'd ask, you know, just humbly ask the question, has anyone lost like 50 pounds, uh, you know, 25 kilo or so? Kept it off for a year. You know, ask that question, pause, shut up. Maybe one person raised their hand, maybe two. And then you'd ask, query them what they did. And across the board, it was something very similar. So they actually would say paleo, right? I'm doing the paleo because back then paleo was, wasn't like modern paleo junk food. So it was like, you know, eat meat and vegetables is paleo, you know, just no process stuff. So it was really paleo 2012 is a very low carb very clean diet, you know, real food diet. Um, They'd say they got rid of all the sugar. You know, I think there was a a, like a bro science culture, we call it in America, you know, amongst military colleagues, you know, if something's working for one in the gym, they, you know, they talk to their, they don't talk to their doctors because their doctors are mostly out of shape. They talk to the, you know, their special operator friend who survived 20 missions or the guy in the gym that, you know, could rip your head off with his bare hands and who lost the weight and looks ripped because that's what they all want to do. So, yeah, they get rid of all the sugar, all the bread, all the soda. That came up. And occasionally a very brave soul would say, well, I did Atkins, you know, because they knew I was a doctor. They're all afraid to say it because <laughs> they're whenever they would mention that word in the medical spec, you know, spectrum, it'd be next reaction from doctor. Well, you know, you're going to get a heart attack from that, right? Before they could even finish the word Atkins. It's going to give you a heart attack. But I said, look, it's all cool. It stays in this room. What you do? <clears throat> Atkins. So yeah, and then I came back to my hospital and in and, and it's a small hospital. I look work in a rural hospital, 24 beds, but they allowed me to do a low carbohydrate option for our diabetes patients. You know, because standard hospital diet for diabetes will give you diabetes, you know, <laughs> it's 60 grams of carbs, you know, which needs a side of insulin. So, you know, go in and give them 10 gram carb per meal. It, it there was a little bit of pushback, but as long as I was there, you know, checking their sugars monitoring them it it was fine um we published a paper on that and uh, a couple years later we actually got all the sugar drinks out of my hospital for everyone patients staff um all the vending machines cafeteria you know so so that was next step so we have like it's like you you know you have over there it's a community it's a bottom-up revolution you know wisdom of the crowds you know the the the, 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 our people here were ready for it because they would see change amongst their work colleagues. They're like, why are we serving soda to patients? You know, you'd have a patient there, you know, in the room with diabetes, looking at the breakfast with pancakes. And why are you serving me this, Doc? So, it, but it's slow change. You know, I, I, would, I would have hoped that the entire country right now would get rid of soda in the hospitals. I mean, that seems pretty obvious. It's like we don't, we, when I went through training, Ollie, we, we allowed, uh, there was smoking rooms. And people say, you know, now now the new med students are like, that's crazy, right? But I hope in twenty years, you know, I'm sitting, maybe you and i be back on the show. You know, we used to allow sugar in hospitals and schools, right? Schools is the other place, right? Kids the chocolate milk. You know, it's 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 insanity. It it really is.
1: Yeah, well, I mean it's amazing that you've you've managed to make that change in the hospital. And I think it's it's an advantage of the the federalized um sort of uh sort of individual unit style of medical care over in the us because i think the problem with uh and i've and i've spoken to um uh you know uh hospital food buyers and schools food buyers uh in the in the uk they've got a guideline framework which really only lets them purchase uh, at a certain price and within certain nutritional guidelines Mm -hmm. and at the moment, the good thing is that sugar is being pushed down, but you know, there's there's not uh, a lot of joined up thinking. So fat's being pushed down as well. You know, it's so, sort of like, where are people actually going to get their energy? And um, I, I don't know if that even applies to things like uh, vending machines and uh, shops with private contractors who just bring the stuff in. And I know, having spoken to people who've worked on this kind of thing in hospitals uh, in the UK where they do have a little bit of leeway about recommendations for what goes on the shop shelves they've said they've asked the shops to put less shelf space for the chocolate and more shelf space for the fruit but all they find is that they have to turn over the chocolate shelves faster and throw fruit away so it's really cool that you've got an outright ban because I think if it's not there people can't buy it so it's like you say, I mean, it's. I spent a year teaching English in China about 10 years ago and there were still doctors smoking cigarettes in the hospital corridors, you know, it's it's just, it's a cultural thing and um, it would be great to see, you know, sugar and um, more damaging foods being, I mean, at the very least, uh, not forced on people with diabetes. Um I mean, you brought out a brilliant scientific paper that allows doctors to reduce medicines as their patients' health improve while eating low-carb, you know, that because that's part of the issue as well, isn't it, um, the the knowledge within the, the medical community? Can you summarize the paper and why you thought it was important?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, your good colleague over there, Dr. David Unwin, Campbell Murdoch, um, were part of this, this paper, and David just published an amazing article, came out just this week about his clinical practice and the diabetes remission and the med reduction. So this is real, but that's purely by his own persistence, desire, you know, kind of coyote, you know, jousting windmills, you know, in in the, you know, the NHS system. Uh, But he's been awarded as an innovator. So the only risk of a healthy low-carb diet are the medications you might be on for your diabetes. You know, so if you're on high doses of insulin and somehow you pick up a handout... You know, maybe someone picks up your book randomly or picks up my book and says, this makes sense. I'm going to get rid of sugar, you know, all sugar, right? The white flour and, uh, you know, muffins and all the potatoes, all the starch, but they don't understand that the medications they are on, which would be like sulfonylureas specifically, um, glipizide, or the insulins, you know, the injectable insulins that these need to be adjusted day one immediately. Now the problem is you would you would hope that that would be standard medical education not just medication prescribing but medication de-prescribing so for every med- medication a medical student learns they all learn how to prescribe it but when would you de-prescribe it um, but that's not you know our you know it's just the way it is so our education here it, we're in a for-profit healthcare system here you guys have nhs so I think there's probably more incentive for cost reduction. And and David had amazing data on cost reduction to the system. But our our education is is driven by big pharma, you know, and it's it's and procedures, you know. So the more things we do to people in America, the more the system makes. There's no incentive to do what that paper shows where we can get people off of medications. I I give everybody my text message because they, they need good coaches, you know, so I have an application on my phone with about 30 patients wearing a continuous glucose monitor. So I just scan that every day. If someone's super high, you know, we're going to call them, text them or if they're super low, but, but it's like landing a plane they need to know, they need to understand. A lot of patients don't understand the pharmacology of their medications. They think like insulin is just like a, an aspirin a day. Well, this is my dose. Period. You know, say they're sick and don't eat breakfast and they give themselves uh, 40 units of insulin. You know, then they're going to be like super hangry, if not on the floor. You know, it can be lethal. I've seen, we had a patient a few weeks ago. He was uh, admitted to the hospital with low blood sugar and he was discharged on a sulfonylurea and he came back with a sugar of five. Yeah, in your units, I'm not sure, but it's like that's not compatible with life. Yeah, I mean that, and that would not have shown up as a preventable death. It would have just it, 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 these things don't show up. But that's that's a preventable death, and they're they're happening, um, and and even a myocardial uh, infarction. That so having really unstable blood sugars, super high, super low, all these fluctuations creates plaque instability. So someone's in that scenario and they rupture a plaque and have a myocardial infarction. You know, no one's looking at, well, I guess, I guess they died of a heart attack, but that may not have been causal. So we just want to try to unwind things. The goal for me, Ali, in medicine, whether it's sports medicine and they're runners and their foot's all jacked up or it's their metabolism is we need as a system to try to restore normal physiology in every human being we see you know, and it's one meal at a time, you know, it's getting sleep, it's getting exercise. We want to restore the human body to its normal physiologic state as we're designed. And only a small fraction of the human population now has normal physiology. And that was a paper out of UNC. It's like 12% of the U.S. population has all metabolic markers normal. (laughs) So it's it's sad. Um, Why aren't more people talking about this? Who ends up in the hospital with COVID? It's other than the elderly, which most of them have metabolic issues. But if you're young and well, your odds of being in the hospital are almost zero. But if you're young with obesity, young with high blood pressure, young with cardiovascular disease, all these are dietary related diseases, diabetes, you know, your odds are actually pretty good. You're going to end up, you know, whether it's in the hospital or home, pretty miserable for two weeks. And then you may get long COVID. We don't even know what that is yet. But we're seeing it
1: yeah i think it's it's not said enough and it's become something of a taboo because i think people misinterpret um presentation of that kind of data as a kind of fat shaming or something whereas if you know exactly how to target metabolic ill health through lifestyle change then you actually have the solution waiting right there and I think it's great to hear it from doctors like yourself, because I think um, sometimes people misinterpret it as a kind of snake oil pitch, you know, or this someone's taking advantage of a global pandemic to try to sell something. Well, I mean, if you've got the solution that works, then let's use
0: it. Yeah. You and I aren't selling anything. <laughs> I'm not making a nickel off of anything here. You know, we're trying to, t- save the system money, you know, the costs of insulin in our country, you know, just off the charts. You know, what what you'd pay for 10 units of insulin here, I think is two to three times what would be charged in the UK, you know, under the national healthcare system, which is still overpriced compared to the cost of manufacturing. But yeah, it's this saves the system money. Not none of our foods, I've read your book, there's there's not keto junk food products. It's it's all, all stuff that you would make in your kitchen. With ingredients that you could get at your little local market, you know, or a big supermarket, whatever it is, but they're not fancy exotic ingredients.
1: That's it. I mean,
0: I, yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, I don't think the egg industry is is making money off of us, but we both <laughs> encourage eggs. Yeah, maybe that's our. I'm not getting paid by the egg industry, or yeah,
1: I think there's not really the like pharmacy. the underlying um, conflict of interest in the same way that there is with with uh, the pharmaceuticals you know driving the 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 um, the system um, and I, and it's you know what you what you said about uh, david Unwin's um, savings is 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 exactly right you know someone's extrapolated those figures for how much he's saved just in his particular practice on diabetes drugs alone if the whole of the u k did that, then they would save two hundred and fifty million pounds every year just on the diabetes drugs never mind
0: just on the drugs well, never mind
1: never mind what they mind what they would have saved and quality of life years, okay. ultimately the most important thing is that these people and the doctors themselves change their lives for the better it's you know that's the incredible thing, and that's almost priceless i guess
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly.
1: You know, I, I I find the running coaching stuff really, really interesting. You know, I've recently, um, I've I've always loved running, right? And I used to play rugby when I was younger. Um, and you know, when I was in China, actually, um, I found that I couldn't run very well after maybe running a mile or so, my knees would start to really hurt and have to stop and then the next day I couldn't walk properly and that more or less followed me into um you know the, the, the 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 next five or six years until I changed how I was eating and started supplementing a bit and I realized that all my other health problems were going away the problem was that I would still feel this this pain terrible pain in my knees um and Until very recently, I've started supplementing again with uh, zinc and B six. You know, uh, which of course, uh, as a pair, um, is used for so many processes in the body. And um, I've noticed that, um, tentatively, because I'm being careful with how I run, uh, that I'm able to run. And if I start to feel a little pain, then I then I stop and uh, allow myself to recover for a couple of days. But I do not have the same. Uh, inflammation and pain the next day and then maybe a couple of days later I can do a run that's at the same length or a bit longer so I feel like th- through this supplementation the tissue is able to rebuild properly I mean I, I want to just generalize it out because I'm not asking you for specific advice on me but do you have experience of supplementing in any way to improve people's ability to run
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to that. But we know that insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia is an inflammatory state. And there was just an article published a few weeks ago, shared with my orthopedic colleagues here on low carb diet and effect on knee pain and inflammation. So that's, that's powerful, just the diet, you know, just like we see autoimmune um, conditions improved. So, so that's important. Um, One pound of Weight off your belly equals four pounds off of your knee and hip joints when you look at rotational forces. So even someone who, you know, whether they went low carb or maybe they went vegan or just got rid of junk food—I don't really care—just get rid of the sweet drinks and the junk food. If you lose five pounds on your belly, your knees and hips feel better. Right? You don't even do nothing else, but you tend to make shifts to more nutrient-dense foods. Um, so we know that meat on uh, meat on the bone, the cartilaginous. Uh, materials are very good for, for cartilage. Um, I even take like a little one of the, I take a little scoop of um, collagen supplement every day, put it in my coffee, you know, cause I, I probably don't every day get the best quality meat on the bone, I, you know, just don't have that resource here. So you kind of like look at, but if you're eating a lot of uh, meat on the bone, that's uh, egg yolks are very powerful for the same, for choline and, and some of this cartilage building materials, the egg yolks from good, you know, pastured eggs, really good. Um, so it's, so it's, it's all good. I mean, it's all, again, restoring normal. We know that the knee joints need loading. So, so you've, maybe people out there have heard that running wears out your knees, but the opposite is true. So people who run have less knee arthritis, our knees are designed to take that nice little impact. You know, not pounding impact, but just those nice little impacts that also builds our bone strength. I mean, we're designed to move, we're designed to run. So if you just decide to sit in a chair all day, your cartilage demineralizes and your bones start demineralizing. It's like bed rest. The worst thing you can do for your joints is bed rest, you know, and, and really fast. Your body starts to lose muscle mass, start, cartilage bones start to break down. Um, yeah, so keep moving. Slow down shorter strides, I think, is another Thing that helps people who have like lot uh, impact injuries like knee pain shin pain just a quicker step slow down breathe through your belly right don't make it like a type a activity make this your kind of meditation you know right now people need that you know go out in the park you know get out of the closed up apartment they, they are still allowing you guys to go out and exercise correct with this new it starts tomorrow right with these new restrictions are you allowed to exercise outside
1: yeah i mean even even when it was at its worst um you were allowed to go out once a and day run. and run or walk or whatever um okay it's really interesting what you're saying you know i think the the you know the, the building up a tissue the I, i've actually been supplementing a little bit with collagen myself i've been using the the hunter and gather stuff which is uh, bovine collagen and they do a uh marine collagen as well um Mm -hmm. and a little bit of vitamin c because who knows i've heard that it helps to build um that kind of tissue um i think sometimes it can be quite individual and i think certainly i've got a history of autoimmune problems and i do wonder whether my collagen got attacked somewhat at some stage but um so far so good i mean do you think for people with pain though is there always a route to running Or is it just not for some people?
0: I I think almost everyone can be rehabbed to run, even if slow, if they want to run. You know, there's no benefit of running versus walking, I think, just for health prevention. But people that are runners, you know, I own a little running store, too, and I'm a runner. There's something about having two feet in the air at the same time that it's if people that are runners love to run, it's it's you know, it's addictive, right? And it's true because it's what's called endo, endocannabinoids and endorphins, which are cannabinoids and morphines our brain produces by this activity. So if I have a runner in my office or in my store, and if I were to ask them, now if I, you know, what are some things in life that if I just took away life, no, you can't do that. It might be your family. The other would be running. Like if I just told a runner, no, you can't run for the rest of your life, period they won't accept that. They're going to find a way to run. So I think, you know, so some people might need a knee replacement if they had a bad traumatic, you know, rugby injury and in they're bone on bone, get a knee replacement. That's fine. Then you can run again. Just, you know, get yourself healthy first. You know, people come back from military theater with no legs, right. And they run marathons with prostheses. So people can run with amazing, you know, disabilities that people would say there's no way they're ever going to run again so sometimes a little tweaky achilles tendon or plantar fascia knee or hip you know they may not be able to run fast or finish a marathon that's not the goal the goal for people that love to run is just the movement and the play the outdoors you know what it does to their brain because it's, it's just a day without running for these people it's just it doesn't work it makes the running makes the rest of their life work it's probably that way for me i get up really early and run in the morning and i'm Without that, you know, I'm way more productive. I feel better if I get up and run, no matter what the weather is.
1: Yeah, I, I love to run as well, and it's it's been kind of a um an uphill struggle and a bit kind of um sort of painful physically and mentally to have to. Uh, At to least be in the eye.
0: UK. I'm not sure if he's still coaching over there, so he. Uh, Lee Saxby, he w- worked with uh, Viva Barefoot and um, Born. he had a company called Born to Run, but he's look him up online if he's over there in the UK. I will. He, he, can, he can get people back to running.
1: Great. Thank you, Lee Saxby. I'll look him up. And I've, I've certainly, Saxby. I've watched your videos as well, and they're very interesting. You know, I, I started to listen to people like Tucker Goodrich and... Um, yeah, no
0: Tucker. Yeah, met him at the New York City Barefoot Run. Like, oh yeah, it was a long time ago. That was almost ten years ago.
1: Wow. Yeah, and Phil and who, um yes, you know, a too. do um, uh, kind of the barefoot running and uh, or you know zero drop shoes, like um, using Vivo barefoots that kind of thing. And it fascinated me, you know, and it may, of course it makes sense. We didn't, we wouldn't have had cushioned shoes. In the dim and distant past, when we were evolving to run, so why on earth should we cushion our feet um, now? And you know the the, the those stories about um, uh, you know Nike giving shoes to uh, traditional people who you know would would run a long way and um, for marketing uh, purposes. And you know these people got injuries straight away, you know, the, we it seems like we're designed to run more like barefoot. Um, and you know, I've seen some of your videos, you've got the sort of zero drop shoes and, but I, I something that, that, that Tucker's mentioned to me before is that going from walking and running in cushion supported shoes to these kind of evil barefoot or zero drop isn't just something that you can do overnight right you have to transition yeah,
0: it's, it's building those muscles so if you've relied on support and cushioning for your foot and somehow you read that that's bad and and your foot's not ready to deal with that so it's a process like any extremity or muscle you wean support and add strength you know so here's my shoes they're up now and i'm standing you know, these are my work shoes and I could roll them up and put them in my pocket. you know they're uh, called a zero very much like a vivo barefoot. Um, and I'll use some cushion if I'm out on a trail but you know the, the goal again like almost like metabolism is to restore normal foot function. you know once you have normal healthy strong feet like most children do, that's why like vivo barefoot over there in the UK has a huge mission and passion for children's shoes, even though they're not going to make much money off of children's shoes. but if children didn't wear, you know, crappy shoes, we wouldn't have all these foot problems. I mean, we the industry creates the problems that they're going to keep treating, almost like in the medical industry. You know, and the food industry, we create all these metabolic problems. But yeah, wean yourself just like weaning off of sugar, wean yourself off of big cushion supportive shoes. Mix it up, but ultimately, you know, in a couple of years, your feet might be, you know, bulletproof, right? Like strong and like your hands. Just you know. They're not going to get hurt by doing normal activity, maybe a trauma, but that's the goal. Start early. Yeah, And make, you know, I do barefoot running in the summer and in the winter it's cold. I put shoes on, so, but my foot is strong. You know, take your shoes off as much as possible at home and wear these minimal shoes at work when you're not running because you could, every step you take all day should be something, you know, that's promoting good health and good strength. Just like every piece of food you put in your mouth it shouldn't be, it's not a calorie. You know, we're, we're looking, we need nutrients. So I look at food as, as nutrients each day. I don't need calories. I need nutrients. You know, I got this little plate of bacon here that I haven't eaten it yet. This could be my lunch right here. Delicious. Make, they roast it and little chicken in there, but that'll be my nutrients for lunch today.
1: Fantastic. I'm so you know what? And so I guess the you know if you've got your if you've got your continuous glucose monitor on and your um your Fitbit, you want to make sure that you're not um that, that, you, that the food you're eating is highly nutritious and the steps you're taking are in their own way highly highly uh, valued.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna see what um see what breakfast did today. I had three egg omelet for breakfast, so yeah, it's good. So you can see my curve. I'm 104 milligram per deciliter now.
1: Yeah, oh, my, people, my sugar goes
0: up when I run and then it goes down when I eat my breakfast.
1: For people just listening, so then, it's almost it's almost totally flat. Throughout yeah, day. yeah,
0: the lines flat. The lines go up when you exercise. That's one of the curious things when people have if you're a low carber, because your body makes the glucose. It's not bad, but then you dispose it. So people think, Oh, that you must have had a bagel before you went running. It's like, No, no, my body just makes the glucose. It's fine. That's a good thing. What was
1: interesting to me? when I first um, started looking into all this, is the fact that the you know, US military has been well studied, and in some ways, it, 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 it's parts of it has been among the least healthy groups in the world. You know, um, food contracts, going to uh, companies that have no interest in giving nutrition to the troops, and really just uh, you know, making a profit, or sticking to guidelines which aren't actually beneficial. I mean, what's your experience in that regard? And um, do you think there's a, yeah, a, a widespread similar to problem? Schools.
0: Yeah, Ali, it's similar to schools. And that's why, you know, myself, Nina Teicholz, and a group called the Nutrition Coalition, you know, we have, like you do, you have like a my plate type of, type of uh, government um, program, you know, that's supposedly giving, you know, advice to the populace, to the whole country. So the military bases, schools, free school lunch, you know, the – impoverished programs they call it Snap Here and Wick for people of need and food insecurity are driven by the dietary guidelines. And in the dietary guidelines, there's not a low-carb option. It's it's a 50 to 60 percent carbohydrate and it allows a lot of processed carbohydrate in there. So on a military base there's cereal, you know, and it's all sugar cereal. There's McDonald's on base, there's Burger King on base, tons of pasta. But when I think it's 60 of active duty military members are overweight or obese. So in the majority of your troops or my state, which is about 70%, are overweight or obese. And we can't give the guideline for the healthy population to those that have the metabolic issues because you just make them sicker. And that's been our message to the USDA who's developing this dietary guideline is, you know, the people that are healthy don't need the government's advice. They're just fine. You know, so if we're going to give advice to anybody, it should be the ones who are unhealthy. And if you look at the evidence for metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes, as Dr. Unwin uh, exhibited in the real world, an option should be low carbohydrate. And it probably is the most powerful option. And that option should be educated to everybody. And it should be offered, make the best choice, the easy choice. Like you said, at the supermarket, if that you know, they call them the ends or the checkout. So if you have all the junk food at the checkout, not the fruit, oh, let me grab one of those. You know, I got an extra 25 cents in my pocket. And but when you walk into a chow hall and you have all the cereal there and skim milk and chocolate milk like they do at the schools, they're hungry. <laughs> they don't have any money. These are kids who are like 18 in basic training. They're going to they're gonna eat. They're hungry, right? Because they've just been working all day. So throw on whatever you can. So they're eating a lot of calorie, but they're getting sicker, and uh, and that's not individual choice because they have to eat what's given to them by these government programs. So we have to fix government, we have to fix food industry, you know, because if we expect individual citizens to make the right decisions based on their own uh, knowledge, you know, they're not getting the knowledge, and they don't have access to the healthy foods nor the financial resources to afford them.
1: Yeah, that's it. And it's, it, you know, I think it's people like yourself and Dr. Unwin who are really kind of getting the word out there as much as possible. And so for that, I really appreciate you you coming on and talking about it. I mean, besides the um, the ongoing stuff at the hospital and your running work, um, is it just the, the uh, low card for any budget book that you've got on the go? Have you got any other projects coming up?
0: Yeah, I got a number of projects coming up. Um, there was a really nice collaboration. You know, with this lockdown, um, I'm, a, I'm at a university and I got a grant for diabetes education for our state. You know, to train clinicians. And now that we can't travel, um, I partnered with the Nutrition Network, which I think some of the UK, it's accessible in the UK. But uh, Dr. Tim Noakes and the Noakes Foundation started this, and I, I believe David Unwin's part of it. But they're. Uh, uh, lectures online that you can get medical credit hours you know they've been vetted for their content conflicts of interest you know these we're not selling products so i got that approved in the u.s to get credit hours to do this course whether you want to do three hours or 30 hours at a very good cost um which which is is great you know so now it's accessible to get this education you know you can get credit hours doctors need certain numbers of credit hours for their licensing and that's that's been uh, some work, but you know, like like you said uh, before, we got on on the on live. You know, all boats rise with the tide. You know, we have so many people internationally doing this amazing work, and patients are driving it, right? The patients are the success stories. You know, so we can talk about the science all day, but when you have all these patients that are just coming off their meds, you know, you start tying it together to educate. I believe every person out there treating in a general practice setting you know, or even a specialist, right? Uh, orthopedic doctors are doing the amputations and we have dentists extracting teeth, you know, uh, podiatrists, you know, doing, uh, treating foot ulcers and diabetics. So every single touch point in the healthcare system should be knowledgeable. This isn't religion. You know, they should just be knowledgeable of low carb, healthy low carb, because it is an option and it's a powerful option. And we need to know how to educate the option safely, which is the medication reduction, is the only. There's no downside to eating a healthy low-carb diet, you know, unless you're on a medicine that's going to drop your sugar or drop your blood pressure. I mean, like, what downside is there to eat vegetables, eggs, seafood, meat? It, that's in our DNA. People say that's extreme, and I'm like, what? <laughs> isn't that what you'd want every kid to eat? right? And then we wouldn't have obesity. Extreme is donuts, croissants.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, um,
0: turn it upside down. So yeah, we'll get this, uh, education out and I, I hope I can get a number of people to start doing it. And then in their own communities, group visits, um, things like that.
1: That's fantastic. Um, and is that, going to be on a, on the nutrition network platform or. Yeah. Yeah. Own? So
0: nutrition network, you could probably put a, a link in show notes, but just type in nutrition network and there'll be a link for USA. So if you're listening to this from USA, but I believe you can, it's cr- accredited in the UK. It's accredited in Canada and uh, Africa, South Africa too. So like if you're a UK GP, it's uh, the CDP is the organization that accredits courses. It's credited. Um, do as much of it as you want. The cost is very low. Um, Some doctors even get a a budget each year to do these things. And since you can't travel to a conference, you know, go ahead and just do it from your living room. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at it on the side and maybe a little dry red wine or something.
1: (laughs) Sounds perfect. I I was looking at the, um, the training as a health advisor, um, as someone without medical training, I would love to support doctors and be able to advise people, um, and help them, you know, um, in, in that capacity. And I was looking at Nutrition Network training. It looks fantastic. Yeah, We need more
0: of those. It's That's really important, Ali. And Dr. Unwin from his paper, it sounds like what really gives him an advantage is that everyone in his clinic believes that diabetes can be reversible. So he has nurses. So it's not like he's this lone ranger in his own clinic. You know, his protocols involve his whole staff, the questionnaires, the education. So it's really teamwork. But if you're like one person trying to do this and the rest of the system is pushing back, so kudos to his success. But you know, Verta Health has a number of health coaches. You know, and they're spending more one-on-one time. The doctor has a 15-minute visit. But if I had a health coach I could trust, here go spend two hours with Ali. And he's going to go through, go visit your house and go into your cabinets and throw out all this all the junk. <laughs>
1: yeah i mean i'm, I'm happy to teach you had
0: a cook you know you have this skillet that you haven't used in 10 years why don't you <laughs> pull that out you know it's your grandmother's but it's the best damn one
1: yeah i hope i can help people to do that um in the near future so i'll uh I, you know why don't we wrap up there i uh, you can tell people where they can find out more about your stuff and we can put the the links in the show notes afterwards
0: yeah so i wrote a book called run for your life and it's on uh all the major sites. And there's a website for that that has a lot of resources for the running. It's runforyourlifebook.com. And you have a resource page, has some stuff on low carbs and papers, but a lot of the running and the videos of corrective exercises. And my own site is drmarksdesk.com. And that links to my store, races we host here, a more running education. We have a site called Nature Prescriptions that we want to be able to, in doctor's offices, really prescribe nature which is super powerful for COVID is getting outside, build your immune system. So check that stuff out, but I'd rather you go outside and get offline (laughs) and uh, maybe put in a good audio book or something or listen to some good podcasts, but, you know, do a lot of your education now while you're moving. And, uh, you know, I've, I've listened to your podcasts while running, you know, like my brain works better. I recall things more, you know, when I'm out moving. So, Find a way to get out and combine, you know, to have walking meetings and not just be in, inside. Great
1: advice. I really appreciate you coming on again, Mark, and uh, let's keep in touch.
0: For sure. And um, I'll get you a copy of my book when we get the final print. I'm looking forward to it. Cheers for now. Excellent. Okay. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and see you next time.